Well, thank you for being here to listen this morning. Uh, you know, how in the world are you doing? Everybody, how many of you are glad to be alive? How many would rather be here than the best funeral home in town? Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Rather be here. Yeah, it's been, I've been preaching 49 years, but I've never gone three months without preaching, so I'm stale this morning. So I'll try to make it through. I want to tell you a little joke, first of all, as I begin, because I think it's appropriate. My topic this morning is one of uh, kind of like Thanksgiving, but being thankful now. And not many of you are, like I'm a country boy, brought up in the country, and I was told this story one time, it kind of rang true. A story of an old country fellow who was riding down the road, just about at twilight, and an old horse was pulling his cart, he had his faithful dog right there with him, and some nut come flying down the road and rounded the corner and hit the cart and hit the horse and hit everything and knocked them all over the place. And it wasn't too long after that, the man was laying over on the side of the road pretty badly broken up, and and the local county sheriff showed up, and if you haven't been around a local county sheriff, it's a little bit different sometimes, but it was a good old boy, and he walks over to the scene. It was a terrible accident, and he walks over to the terrible dog. The dog had been hit also, and he said, poor thing, I, I hate to see a dog suffer. You know, so you don't want a dog to suffer. So he took his revolver out, and he took the dog, boom, shot that dog right there. He walks over a little bit further, and my goodness, there lays the horse over in the ditch. And his leg was kind of twitching a little bit. You know how they do? He took his pistol out. Boom! Shot that horse right in the head. He walks over and he found the fellow that was driving the cart. And he was kind of laying over on the side of the road. You know, it didn't look too good. He looks at me. He said, sir, how are you feeling? Well, he said, I never felt better a day in my life. <laughs> Have you ever felt like integrity and honesty just won't even allow you to be grateful because you don't want to be a hypocrite I mean we've all been brought up to try to tell the truth and not lie and when someone comes up to you and asks you how you're doing you want to say well I'm doing fine how are you but then sometimes as you grow in Christ you say I can't tell them that's the biggest lie in the world I'm not doing fine I'm doing pretty rotten to be honest with you and you might want to itemize the things that aren't going well well, that gentleman in that ditch is just a story, but I would assume if that were something close in proximity to truth, he really did not feel quite that well. I remember as a child or a young man, I'm not sure exactly the year, I witnessed as some of you older people did as the Vietnam War was kind of coming to an end. And some of those who had been taken prisoner of war during the Vietnam War were brought home by plane. I remember watching that scene as they began to uh, slowly disembark from the plane and walk down the steps, being treated very nicely. And I remember distinctly as one of them came down to the end of the tarnak, or whatever they called it, got down on his knees and bent over and kissed the ground because he was so grateful to be back in America. Today, there are 10 to 20, 25,000 people, they say, uh, they're calling it a caravan of people who are trying to come up from the south and want to get into the United States. Our president, probably with some common sense this week, questioned, if you're so anxious to come into the United States and you're seeking asylum, why are you waving the flag of the country from whence you came? Sometimes being thankful is a process of remembering from whence you've come. Because if you don't remember where you've been... You really can't rejoice in where you are. And I want to say to you, first of all, there are some things worse than being thankful. You know, it's worse when you're thankful for the wrong things than if you're not thankful at all. 
There are some people in the world today that are thankful for being criminals. They're good at it. There are some people today who are rip-off artists and they're good at it and they're thankful to be good at it. And there are many, many other things for which people are grateful today that probably would not fall in the category of appropriate thanksgiving. Therefore, integrity when it comes to the issue of thanksgiving and praise is important, not guilt. I pray God will help me this morning not to make you feel guilty for the fact that you are beginning... If you have not already, many of you have already, as I have, begun to take for granted things that you at one time were very thankful for. I wonder how many of you this morning, I hope every one of you, but if not one of you or two of you or five of you, that you can't remember the day you were converted. I hope today will be your day. I remember the night I was converted. I've told it many times. I'm going to tell you once again. I got saved in a Methodist church under a Baptist preacher at the eighth day of an eighth day revival. And I remember praying. And I don't know that you'd call it a prayer because it really did. I didn't know much about praying. But I remember saying, Lord, my best friend is here, Byron. And he's a preacher's son. And he's an embarrassment to his daddy. He's just as bad as I am but I am not supposed to be much. It would be nice if Byron would go up there to that altar night and make his daddy happy. And sure enough, he did. And then I guess some way or another, my cricket mind, I said, well, God, I guess if you answer that prayer, I ought to go down there and make him feel comfortable. You know, fair for him to be down there by himself. After all, he hadn't been doing all the bad things by himself. And I went down to the altar, and on the way there, I thought, well, Lord, maybe if you do something for him, you did something for me. And I asked him to save me that night. I was 16. It still works today. I remember the next morning getting up, and one of my first prayers was, God, help me not to cuss too much today. I don't know about some of you before you got saved, but I was 16, but I cussed. Boy, I cussed like. I remember as a little boy, my next door neighbor paid me one day to cuss. My mama heard him, beat me all the way home. He's sitting out there in the cornfield just laughing and clapping his hands. Mr. Sherwood, if you're up there, buddy, I remember that day. I really remember it paid me to cuss and I said Lord help me to get through not cuss too much I remember that night getting ready to go to bed and it struck me as now this is nothing today but I remember it struck me Lord I haven't cussed all day long it's a miracle it's right on side of the resurrection (laughs) now I know it's not now but that day I was thankful I remember such weird things weird things thin, not weird. I remember walking outside and thinking, I don't remember it ever being this bright before. Sun's out brighter today. If you can't relate to what I'm saying, I hope the day will come that you shall. But I don't feel today the way I did back then. And I could give you four or five other illustrations of things I remember the first time it happened. But it's not like that anymore. I remember my first time preaching. I remember the first time Jane made the mistake of going out on a date with me. And I remember deciding, Lord willing, I won't let her go on a date with no one else, and she never did. That's how you get the prettiest girl, even if you're ugly and fat. Thanksgiving. Being thankful now is oftentimes hindered by our feelings. Yesterday, I was uh, trying to work with my two grandboys. They're my buddies, and I took them out to the workshop, and I was going to teach them to 
do some things. And we hadn't been over there about 15, 20 minutes, and I was teaching them to cut copper pipe. And one of them looked at me and said, Granddaddy, can I go in the house? I'm hungry. Rochelle, he was lying. <laughs> that boy was not hungry. And I looked at him and said, Tyler, you're hungry? And he immediately explained to me why he was hungry. He said, I didn't have but one sandwich for breakfast. Now, this was 10 o'clock. Was he hungry? He thought he was. He asked twice. He wanted something to eat in his mind. His feelings were he was hungry. Most of the time, it's not that at all. And not unlike some of you, I think when he comes into our house, the first thing he asks is, Grandma, do you have? And she, he asks for something to eat. So does his brother. Because it's their habit. I, I, I do certain things every day from habit. I suggest to you we can develop good habits as well as bad habits. Unquestionably so. Sometimes we practice bad habits to the point that they begin to overwhelm us. We become addicted, we call it. We can be addicted to good things as well. We can be taught manners. As a child, I was brought up as a southern boy, and I'm not ashamed of that. My mom and dad taught me vehemently, you say yes, sir, or no, sir, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. And if you didn't say that, they would look at you and they would say something. I didn't hear you, would you say? And if you started to say yes again, you kind of wanted to almost duck simultaneously because you knew you were not supposed to say yes or no to an adult. It was a habit. I remember moving up to Cleveland nearly 40 years ago, and wonderful sweet lady was our secretary, and, and I would call her then Miss Zelda. And she would say to me, oh, Pastor Dale, don't call me Miss. I want you to just call me Zelda. I said, I can't do that. And to this day, I still call her Miss Zelda. That's a habit. Do you have a habit when you get up in the morning, literally, of saying, thank the Lord it's morning? Or thank the Lord for something else, or thank the Lord for whatever you think is important? I want to point out to you this morning what you should be thinking about when it comes to being thankfulness. And I invite your attention, please, to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, if you have your Bibles. The first chapter the third verse. Colossians 1.3, written by Paul around 60 to 65 A.D., a little, little small city in Asia Minor. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. Today it is still just a pile of rubble. They are contemplating, discussing, excavating it, but they have none, not done so. It's been destroyed several times in its history, and today it's just a pile of rubble. But in that day, it was a declining town of commerce, and Paul had never been there. He had no idea what the streets were like. He had no idea what the people were like. He had never seen a single soul that lived there except for maybe Epaphras. A convert had gone there and started a church. And when he started that church, everything for a while went good. But then after a while, heresy began to slip in. And heresy that we now have, be have developed the uh, title for, you might say, of Gnosticism or gnosis, of those of you that are familiar with their knowledge or wisdom, they had begun to develop the concept that the way to get to God, to please God, to get to heaven, if there was a heaven, was to become informed, to become intelligent, to become wise. And as you did wise and informed things, you would be able to get a hold of God through angelic and, and spiritual forces, and they would draw you in the presence of God. And these Christians, who were converted under the ministry of Epaphras and others, began to embrace this belief system. 
Have we not done that somewhat in America? We sometimes as Christians, we're so anxious to get new knowledge. We want a new experience. We want a new mountaintop or, or we go off into some retreat center and, and we try to get into nature or we try to do something else to just feel better. I was taught as a young Christian, I thank the Lord for this now, about that proverbial faith train. If you haven't heard about it, it's a great train to learn about, though I know nothing about trains, never traveled on one at all. Uh, But the faith train simply says, remember that in the faith train, faith pulls the train. And the caboose is feeling. When you reverse the two, and you start allowing what you believe to be based upon how you feel, you are on the verge of failure and heresy. Make sure you know what you believe and let that pull the train. And the church at Colossae had begun to do some different things. The church went through this a lot. It's first 200 years of history, and we've gone through it off and on since then. They have in my lifetime. I've seen a lot of transitions in the church. I can remember when music today that you think is traditional almost split the church because it was considered so liberal. I remember being for the first time in a real conservative holiness church and a few of you, maybe not many of you that are here, I know I'm too old for this, but if you ever remember, how many of you ever heard of Bill Gloria Gaither? Anybody heard of Bill and Gloria Gaither? A few of you folks. And they wrote that controversial musical. You don't think of it as controversial, but, but it, it was simply said, let's just praise the Lord. The praise gathering for believers. If you've never heard, it was a great chorus. Choruses and choirs did all of America. I remember they sang it in a holiness church and they came to that indicting horrifying verse and it says this let's just lift our anyone know what it says hands towards heaven brother Tom we didn't lift our hands in the holiness church when I was younger I don't know about you that's what them liberal pew jumping Pentecostals did God knows we were delivered from that amen we weren't going to, and I can remember, I remember this, and I was young enough it was entertaining. I get entertained by things that some people worry about. I looked around, some of those people go, they just like Mickey Mouse parade, you know. That was controversial. Now today, that's so old-fashioned. People, how come you sing all them old songs? I don't know, because when I sang them, they were radical. They were new songs. I mean, if you didn't pull out the Cokesbury hymnal, some of the singing the Methodist hymnal, you were liberal. And when we started singing, let's just praise the Lord. Let's, let's lift our hands towards heaven and praise the Lord. It was like, oh, God, have mercy on you. The early church at Colossae began to develop this attitude that they could educate themselves into pleasing God. They could, they could keep enough rules. And they began to develop the practice, apparently, that they, they made up a few rules just so they could obey them, so they could please God in that. They weren't the first ones to do it. The Jews had been doing it for 2,000 years. And as a matter of fact, they had begun to bring it into a book form beginning at about 150 years before Jesus Christ. And they kept on developing that book. And they didn't get it finished until about 200 years after Christ. For 350 years, the Talmud was developed. And they developed all kinds of rules about how to please God. You know, they knew the verse. I, I, I don't know all of these things by a long shot, but I, I remember that verse of Scripture, and I do adhere to the, try to adhere to that passage about remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On six days shalt you labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is holy unto the Lord in that thou shalt not do any work. And they had this very, very practical question. 
What is work? What is work? Now, I was brought up in a community that um, even lost people wouldn't wash their clothes on Sunday. I can remember, because I know this because my family was lost. And my mother was a clean freak. She really was. She cleaned everything twice. But I can remember she would say, I'm not washing my clothes on Sunday. Miss Mamie will talk about me. And she's right. Miss Mamie would have talked about her. I knew Miss Mamie. And so would have Miss Ethel. And so would have my grandmother because that was not acceptable. And oh my, no one ever thought about cutting their grass on Sunday. That had been an outgrowth of the admonition you shouldn't work on the Lord's Day. And now, my goodness, we do anything and everything on the Lord's Day. As a matter of fact, I've had people stand up in church, talk about all the shopping they did on Sunday, and that's between you and the Lord. But they began to develop in this Talmudic expression, how do we flesh out these things? And one of my favorite places, and I've mentioned to some of you, haven't ever had an opportunity to be there, to visit there, and you ever get the opportunity, visit and, and enjoy yourself for about a half hour and take a tour of the Telsha Yeshiva, Jewish Hasidic, Sephardic Seminary in Wycliffe, Ohio. Fascinating place. Fascinating. They've got all kinds of rules. And if you ride past the place, you look real carefully, you'll notice about 12 foot in the air, 10 foot in the air, they've got a pole with a little metal loop on it and a wire that runs all the way around the entire place because there are certain things their rules say you can't do inside and outside of that wire. And if you break those rules, you're out of luck. And if you go there on the Sabbath, which, remember, begins at dusk on Friday and goes to dusk on Saturday, you'll find the park across the street, solid full of all these Hasidic Jews dressed to the hilt because that's as far as they can walk on the Sabbath. They will not get into their car. All kinds of rules. That's what the church at Colossae had begun to develop. We give thanks to the Lord God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in the third... Why is he giving thanks? Well, was it because it was justified? Let me ask some of you a rhetorical but probably a relatively easy question to answer. How many of you know where Paul was probably at when he wrote this? Where? In prison. Almost universally agreed that Paul wrote it and he wrote it from prison. So it's fair to say, and I'm not trying to stretch it or just get some sermonic hyperbole here, it's fair to say he wasn't writing this because he, he felt like it. He'd had a great day in jail. All the prison food was great. You know, he wasn't doing it. He was doing it for that reason. And he said not only did he thank God and praise God, but he prayed for other people daily. Uh, let me go on. I don't have time to read it all, but I want you to get a flavor for the 11th verse. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father. He was telling them to give thanks right then. And our tendency is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, to give thanks for. I want to encourage you this morning to get past that, beyond that, go deeper than that. Do not be so concerned that you give thanks for, but you give thanks because. Because. Yes, it's appropriate, nothing wrong with giving thanks for your spouse. But also give thanks because your spouse loves you and because you have the privilege of loving them back. If we don't get beyond the four, the four might change. The because will never change. 
We can give thanks for, and we well should give thanks for, Jesus the Messiah. Paul gave thanks for Jesus the Messiah. But contextualize that. Who was Paul? Well, Paul was a Jew. Where was he from? Well, a little town called Tarsus. Well, what was his background? Pharisaical. He knew all the rules, knew all the rules, regulations. He knew what Passover was. He knew what all the high and holy days was. He had been brought up in legalism. He had been brought up to believe it was the Gentiles and it was the liberal Jews that was causing the contamination of Israel. They had caused the fall of the temple at one time and they were going to bring it about again if something wasn't done to stop all of this liberal stuff and to stop all this compromise stuff and to stop all this sin that was going on. And he heard about this radical Jew, this hillbilly Jew from Galilee who had convinced a bunch of people that he had risen from the dead And he set out, he said, I'm fixing this problem right now. Not going to have my people to become contaminated by another whiff of heresy. And he set out to eliminate every Jew he could find. And he was radically converted on the road to Damascus. But you need to remember who he was. He was a Pharisaical Jew who kept all the rules and laws and regulations. And it was his calling in life now to absolutely eradicate the followers of this Jesus And that fella not only stopped persecuting, but became a devout follower of Jesus Christ and spent the rest of his life basically running from one town to another to another. And every town he'd go to, the people that got the maddest at him the first and hated him the most were always the Jews. You're aware of that, I'm sure. But I want to remind you, where did he go first everywhere he went? To Jews. And it got him into trouble because somehow or another, though Peter was the one who got that radical message about the sheet coming down you know about and said, don't be afraid to eat, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And he came forth with a heretical idea that maybe all of us that are here this morning who are not Jews, and that's almost all of us but our Gentiles, that we might be allowed into this new kingdom of God ushered in by the Messiah and yet Paul, under his ministry, people began to get converted. And this Barnabas came, became converted. And Timothy became converted. And he went to Jerusalem and he said, look, I got a case I want to present to you. First of all, boys, he went to Jerusalem. If Paul was no fool. Let me tell you, Paul was no fool. Because Paul came to them the best way in the world. He brought money. You remember that? He brought money to Jerusalem from the Gentiles. And he brought the money to them and said, here's the money, but let me tell you something. I think you ought to receive these non-Jews into the family, into the koinonia, into the fellowship. And some of them said yes, and some of them said no. And some of them said, well, we'll take them in, but the males have to be circumcised. And Paul is a devout Jew who knew all, he knew legalism before those boys were hardly thinking about it. And he spoke up and he said, absolutely not. These men are acceptable because they know Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, this time, this day, if you know Jesus, I am not snowing you. I'm not blowing smoke up your nose. I'm telling you, if you know Jesus, you have the because of why you're thankful. You ought to be thankful for Jesus. Thankful that he is yours and yours is his. Now, I know you take it for granted. It's been almost 50 years for me. But the most important thing in my life is the fact that I'm saved. It's more important than anything else bad that might happen to you. Anyone that might be 
causing you to trip up. Anyone that might have hurt your feelings, it's more important than somebody you may have had to bury. I I buried everybody in my family older than I am. Everybody's mama and daddy, grandmother, aunt, uncle. My goodness, I went home to, to bury one of Jane's cousins this year in July, I guess it was, or August, and there were 300 people came to the graveside. Three of them passed out. It was so hot. I buried a lot of people, my mom, my dad. I buried them all. How can you do that? How, how can you stand over top of the casket of my daddy, which I did, and he had committed suicide. Went down to the dock, jumped overboard with hip boots on. The water filled his boots and his hair was dangling on the bottom of the water. That's where they found him. How can you do his funeral? Because I've got Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful when I get to heaven, I won't get to heaven and walk in and say, hey, hey, Gabriel, hey, Jesus, can you tell me where daddy is? Because there's a good shot he's not there. But my Bible tells me in heaven there'll be not the shedding of any tears. Aren't you glad for that? Can anybody in the house to say, amen, praise God, I'm thankful today. I'm getting ready to go to a place there'll never be a shedding of any tears. I'm grateful today. Not because I'm perfect, not because you're perfect, because I know him who is perfect. And he gave his life for me. He died on Calvary for me. And that's why Paul was saying to them, I'm thankful. I might be in prison. I may not ever meet you. I hope to come. Matter of fact, he says in this letter, I hope to come and see you. But I may not get to come to see you. But if I get to come to see you, I want you to know this first before I get there. I'm thankful for who you are in Jesus Christ. Well, let me go on a little bit. Go to the 24th verse of the first chapter. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now it's been revealed to you, his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is... None of you got your Bible, but Jim, I'm glad you brought your Bible. Your wife made you bring it, didn't she? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ in the church. Nothing deflammatory meant to be communicated, but nothing in the host, nothing in the Lord's table, nothing in this book. Christ in in you the hope of glory that's what he was rejoicing about that's what he was happy about that's what he was thankful for now you probably aren't as rich as you'd hoped you'd be you're not as young as you used to be and there are probably a lot of other things in your life you're not that you'd like to be but you are the most important thing you are redeemed amen you're redeemed And nobody can steal that from you. They can call you names, hold you up to public display, but they cannot take from you the one thing that no one can take from you, and that's your relationship with Jesus Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was hopeful for. That's why he made such statements, I've fought the fight, I've I've run the race, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the prize that is in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about how many times you trip up. Don't even worry about how many times you fall. Just remember where you started. Remember where you're going and get up and go again. I'll never forget. I did not see it personally, but I saw it on TV. When 
a wonderful lady by the name of Corey Ten Boon. Some of you heard of her. She was interviewed, and she and her sister were in a prisoner of war camp held by the Nazis, and she, she watched as her sister was brutally treated and murdered. And she said that she was sharing her faith in Jesus Christ and telling people how Christ loves her and how Christ forgave her. And she said she went to a meeting one night, and after the meeting, people came up, as they will do upon occasion. They began to shake her hands and greet her. And she looked and she said, coming down the aisle, I'll never forget the face, was the face of the Nazi guard who had brutally treated my sister and murdered her. And he said, he came up to me and he reached his hand out to shake my hand to ask my forgiveness. And I don't know exactly what she said, but the gist of it was I did not want to. She said, when I looked at him, I saw him. I saw as he grabbed my sister, and I saw as he spoke to her, and he made these sexual allegations toward her. And I know what he did to her, and I didn't want to shake his hand. I wanted to break his neck. She may not have said that, but that's what she meant to say. But then I thought about it, and she said, I remembered what Jesus did for me. And I remember how he accepted me. And I couldn't do anything else. I reached out and took his hand, and I shook his hand. I am confident. I am in myself. I am positive. Corey Tin Boone slept many, many, many wonderful nights after that, very peacefully, because he shook his hand. She forgave, not because she felt like it, not even because she wanted to. I'm telling you the truth. Some things in life you don't do because you want to or you feel like it. You do it because you should and you have to and because Jesus said to. If you didn't learn that, I'm sorry from your parents. I didn't have the best parents in three states, but they were firm. And I asked, as every child did, maybe not every child. Walter, you may not have. You were probably a good boy. But I always would say, why? Did any of you ever say why to your mom and dad? Why? Do such a why, why, why? My daddy would always look at me and say those infamous words. And his words were these. Some of you heard them. Because I said so. And if I asked why again, he'd probably give me a little bit of encouragement. <laughs> you might, I look back at that now and I think, I'm grateful in a way. Because sometimes when I think, why should I do that? I have to hear the words of Christ. Because I said so. Now, my dad was a long ways from Christ, made some terrible mistakes. But the truth is today, the Holy Spirit will say to you, be thankful. And you might say, I don't feel like it. Well, shut up and do it anyway. Because he said so. My daddy would not only make me do it. He had this, he'd say to him, and put a smile on that face. Let me make sure I understand this. I have to do what I don't want to do for someone I do not like, and I have to smile while I'm doing it. And the only reason I have to do all those things is because you said so. Yep. I figure my not-so-great-a-dad could do that to me, 
my Savior can do whatever he wishes. And he says simply, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and everything else will be added to you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, I'm grateful today that it's not circumstances or feelings, nor other people, our past, nor our future that dictates whether we're grateful. It's a heart relationship with you. And Father, I pray today that if there be anyone in this room that they do not know you as Savior and as Lord, that today will be the day of their marvelous conversion. Do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And every one of us here, Lord God, who know you, we stand anxiously desiring to praise with them and to thank you for saving their soul. May you wonderfully and peacefully bless these, your people, this week as we approach in our country what we call Thanksgiving Day. Lord, you know more about it than we do. We're not here to celebrate a holiday, but we want to be thankful every day, and we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for salvation bought for us. We're thankful that it's free. We ask you, Lord, to be glorified in our lives, and we'll give you praise each and every day for your pragmatic work in our lives. And all of God's people said an amen. Amen. Miss Kim, turn it over to you. Oh, my gracious.